0: We're going to be um, looking at Psalm 57 and 1 Samuel 22, and you can kind of roam around between there if you would like. But we're kind of taking a look into just a moment in the life of David as it relates to the idea that we get to choose our song. We get to choose our song. It's an interesting idea, it's an interesting fact of history that certain martyrs of Christianity actually sang during the process of being martyred. Did you realize that was true? That certain martyrs in Christianity actually sang while they were being martyred. In the in the very moment when they were being burned at the stake, when they were being martyred, they chose to sing praise to God through it. You get to choose your song when you're a believer. Whether your days are going really well, and the only song that comes to mind is Hallelujah, Hallelujah, or when your days are going poorly, and you're saying, Lord, I want to cry out to you. We get to choose our song. That we can even choose the Hallelujah chorus when we hit the bottom. We don't have to choose the mournful, solemn songs just because things aren't going well today, because our eternity is secure Christ is our covering. Grace is ours no matter the day. And God is not surprised by the events of my life. We get to choose our song. So how have you been choosing this week? How have you been doing with your choices? Have you been allowing the circumstances of your days, the circumstances of your life, to control the song you're singing? Or have you chosen a song beyond the circumstances of the day? This whole, this whole discussion that, uh, that Deborah shared with us so beautifully this morning about the, the value of gratitude, the, the transformational authority of gratitude in your life. When you start speaking thanks and praise, your brain believes what your mouth says. And it changes you. It begins to change. That's why confession is so important. Confessing Christ... is a a statement you're making to yourself as much as to the world. Because in your confession, again, your brain will believe what your mouth says. So, I I want you to see Psalm 57 is a mictan of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. You see that hole in the ground that you're looking at? That is the cave. That's the cave of Adullam. That's where he fled. That's where he hid. It's not far from Bethlehem. What's, Beth- what's David's hometown? Bethlehem. What did he do for his family before he became a prince? He was a shepherd. Where are shepherds? Out in the fields, out wandering the hillsides, looking for grazing land. So, this is a cave that's actually fairly hard to find. It's not easy to get to this cave. Um, I'll show you another picture. To the left of it, there's actually a, a sultan's burial plot next to this cave now but that kind of marks the entrance. But in the day, when, when David went to this cave, that hole was all that was there. It's not that big of a hole. He slipped into it. There's a much bigger cave below. Probably a cave he discovered when he was a kid or a cave that the locals in Bethlehem knew about because Saul, when he was hiding out in this cave, could never find him. His soldiers actually at one point attacked Saul, who was camped down below, Saul's army, when it was camped down below them from this cave, and were able to go back undetected into the same hole in the ground. This is the cave of Adullam, and this is a miktan. A miktan is a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, a poem, in this case, worth engraving in gold. So that's when when you read it. This is a miktan. The idea is this is a very valuable saying. This is this is a poem worth engraving in gold. So it's it's an exalted one of David's psalms. One of the psalms there aren't actually that many of them that are miktans. This is after the uh, after the Goliath incident. So David is, is famous at this point. David has gone from being a shepherd to, to being a, 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 a servant in the king's house, to being kind of a, a general and sort of an up-and-coming prince, unstated but clearly rising, clearly rising politically. Um, he's, he's already killed Goliath. I gave you this picture of a slingshot because I wanted to remind you that this is not a slingshot. Okay? This is a, a big rock in a slingshot. These are defensive and offensive weapons. That these guys, these are actually, these kinds of slingshots are used in war for centuries because they could huck up to a pound of rock at you. Imagine, you know, you're not getting hit by a pebble, you're getting hit by a one pound rock. It's going to do a little damage. That's what took Goliath out. It wasn't, you know, David in a slingshot with a little pebble, it was David with a uh, one pound ball bearing between Goliath's eyes. That's what dropped the giant to his knees that day. So this is after David is on the rise. Now remember when David kills Goliath, Saul immediately draws him into his house, won't actually let him go home. He makes him come to his house and he starts to put him, put David in charge of warfare. David's doing pretty well. And um, as he grows in popularity, as he wins more and more battles after a particular battle against the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel at the time, when David is victorious, David comes back in with the armies of Saul and the women in the town, ladies, 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 there are times to speak and times not to. The women in the town say Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. And it was never the same for David and Saul after that. <laughs> Jealousy boils up in Saul, and Saul begins to chase David. This is a little map of the places where David fled from Saul. He fled first up to the north up there, number one, when David flees to Samuel first. He gets away from Saul, and he heads up to, to uh, hang out with Samuel to get away from Saul. After that, he goes down a little further, and he travels to Nob, where he receives Goliath's sword, and that's where he is fed. Remember, the priest feeds him with the showbread from the temple and gives him Goliath's sword. These are commemorative of God's care. The showbread was a statement to the people of Israel that God was watching over them, providing for them day after day after day. And when David is on the run, God feeds him with the showbread from the hand of the priest. And he gives him that that sword, much too big for him to haul around, but a symbol of God's care for him, God's blessing for him, God's watchfulness over him when he needed him the most. So when David is running away, God gives him these very powerful symbols to help help him understand what's going on. We're not going to go through all these, I promise. Then David flees to the cave of Adullam. That's that third one there. And then the rest of all of that is as he continues to be pursued and interact with Saul. The things that he has to do. He sneaks his parents off to eat him so they would be safe. And he crosses back and forth around the Dead Sea a few times. He ends up hiding in En Gedi, which is another cave by a spring down by the Dead Sea. All of these things trying to avoid Saul. And when having the opportunity twice to kill Saul refuses to do it because he will not touch the Lord's anointing by anointed by his own statement. Even though Saul has wandered away from the call of God, David doesn't see it as his responsibility to be at the hand of God in the life of Saul. Might be something we all could learn, huh? So he's hiding out in that little hole in the ground that I showed you. That is the hole. And you can see the stones there for the sultan's grave next to it. Now, he's hiding out in this hole. And as is David's typical practice, he reflects on his life. And as he reflects, he begins to write. He writes three psalms while in this hole. Okay? The first psalm was a reflection on the t- on the day before this at Gath. Because before he came to Adullam, he had gone to Gath, to the home of Goliath and his family. He went to Gath, looking for protection from Saul, which just seems kind of like a dumb idea to me. When, when the king in Gath doesn't want to receive David, David then immediately flips and pretends he's crazy. Drool, the Bible says, he lets this drool run down his beard and he begins to scratch at the door, at the gate, like a, like a dog. And the king says, why do you bring me this crazy man? I don't need another crazy man here in the city. Send him away. And then he escapes to this cave. So imagine, he went for refuge. He's refused refuge. Now he's hiding in a hole in the ground. The first psalm that he writes is about behaving like a crazy man at the gate. The second song he writes is about being lonely and being stuck in this cave. And I want to read to you what I think brings on the next step. It's 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'm going to begin at verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped. This is after scratching the gates at Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So who comes when they find out he's down there hiding in the cave? His family comes, his brothers and his father's house. Now why would your family come hide out with you? Because they're in danger as well because Saul is not a happy camper and you don't want to be in the clutches of an angry king. Verse 2, And everyone who was in distress... And everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Now, inside this cave will not hold 400 people, as best I can see it. Um, There seems to be a little bit of a cave complex here. So they're kind of hiding out in the caves around this particular area. But I want you to think about who came to, to David. David flees by himself, basically. He ends up out there in the cave of Adullam by himself and he starts writing these psalms and he, he writes the psalm about being acting crazy and he writes the psalm about just feeling lonely. And then these guys show up. David's first independent kingdom is a kingdom full of people who are in distress, in debt, and discontent. Would you really want to lead this group? The the, the gathering crowd, 400 men strong. So in the Bible, they don't really give you a count of women and children, so you would have to expect that you have some women and children in this group as well. You may have as many as a thousand people here. And, And they come to David, and they're discontent, distressed, and in debt. The three big D's, right? These guys have D's. They haven't quite flunked yet, but they're close. A little bit more effort, they can get the F. Discontent, in debt. These are the people who come to follow David. And the Bible says he has 400 men strong. He now has a group of people around him. He's still being followed by Saul, which now makes him harder, makes it harder to hide. And he begins to write Psalm 57 from inside that cave. That's one picture from inside the cave of Adullam uh, taken in the last decade. Verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul, what? Trusts in you. Is he in a good situation? Is he in a a, a little bit of a sketchy situation? As far as I'm concerned, it looks very sketchy to me. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Do you like the hope in this psalm? He immediately begins with hope. Be merciful to me, God. My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities pass by. This too will pass. My mom used to tell me that. Because when you're a kid, you don't have much of a perspective, right? And so everything's kind of a big drama-trauma moment. And so I was like that a little bit. I'm not, not so much drama, but I would get upset about stuff. And so my mom would say, this, it's okay. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. This isn't going to take forever. It'll be gone eventually. Just wait. Just relax. It'll be okay. This too shall pass. David is trusting God that this thing, this calamity will go. I will cry out, cry out to the God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send me from heaven he shall send from heaven and save me. He repro- reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now can you just remember where he is and who he's surrounded by and who's hunting him? Can you put some context to his words? He's hiding in a cave. He's surrounded by the 3 big Ds. And Saul's wanting to kill him. And he says, God's going to send from heaven and save me. God's going to step in. The assurance that David has, the faith he has, the trust he have in, has in the actions of God in his life are pretty amazing. They're pretty powerful. Here's a guy at, those, at, at that really low point who chooses a different song. right? Here's a guy who's really in the bottom. He's hiding in a hole in the ground. He's hiding in a cave so that he doesn't get killed. And he's saying, God's going to take care of me. I trust that God will send my rescuer. I trust that God will take care of me. He's choosing a different song. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues sharp swords. Now, you can take this either way. You can take this to be a description of Saul's army. Which would make it a kind of a frightening statement. I'm, I'm, this is These are the guys who are pursuing me. Or, you can take this to be the way David sees the three big D's. The discontent. The in debt. These people, maybe he's seeing them as a powerful army, which they will eventually become. Either way, the description from David is going to lead us to his next point. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. In other words, I'm not shaken by this. I'm not shaken by this. I'm rock solid with you, God. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Now, in order for this to work, you have to stop and say, okay, when am I at my lowest? When are things hard for me? How do I respond when things get difficult? Do I respond with trust and faith? Do I look at God and say, all right. I'm solid with you, God. I trust you. I'm sure that you have this thing under control. No matter what fa- comes my way, I'm going to choose to put my faith in you. Or do you and, and I, when things get hard, get into whining mode. Get into, oh, gloomy, doomy mode. Do we, you know, do we turn on that that, that, that symphonic station that only plays Wagner and stuff so that we can be dragged down with it? Or do we spend our time looking up? Do we spend our time saying, God, in spite of what the circumstances around me look like, I know You are still God. And I know that I can trust You. No matter what I face. No matter what I'm dealing with. I know that You can be trusted. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken at the dawn. So David is saying, I'm getting up early in the morning. I'm waking up the whole crowd playing my instruments. Not sure how that's going to go with the big D's either. But David's heart is in it. He's saying, "It it is going to be the beginning of my day. It's going to be the end of my day. It's going to be all of my day that I will praise you. I will worship you. I will lift you up. Agnes had never had a birthday. She was 39 years old. There was a pastor you may know, may have heard of him. His name is Tony Campalo. He was visiting Honolulu to preach. Some of you may have heard this, read this story, or heard of this story before. If you hadn't, it's a, it's great to see it in Tony's own words when you look it up on the internet. Tony's from Detroit or Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. So there's a big time difference between him and Honolulu and he was just a mess. He didn't know whether he was coming or going. 3.30 in the morning, he wakes up wide awake and he can't go back to sleep. So he decides to go out and look for a place to have breakfast. So he finds himself in a back alley in Honolulu in a little diner that's kind of like the only thing open still. He goes into this diner (laughs) and his description is, When he gets into the diner and he kind of looks around at the place, he decides not to have breakfast. Instead, he sees some donuts kind of under a glass over on the side, and so he gets a cup of coffee and a donut. And he's sitting there drinking his coffee and eating his donut when the ladies of the evening get off their shift, and they start filling the place. And he said, before he knows it, the entire little diner is filled with him, A greasy looking cook named Harry and a bunch of ladies who just came off work. And he said he's sitting there thinking about how he's going to sneak out when he hears a conversation between the girl next to him and the girl next to her. The girl next to him turns out to be named Agnes. And she says to the girl next to her, Hey, you know what tomorrow is? And the girl says, What? It's my birthday. And the girl says, so, you want me to buy you a present or something? Big deal. It's your birthday. And she says, well, I don't want to make a federal case out of it. It's just, I've, I've never had a birthday party before. I guess I wouldn't expect you to have throw one for me. She's 39 years old. So Tony now is on a mission. He stays until everybody else is gone. He grabs Harry's attention and tells, asks him if he'll come out. He, he asks Harry, what's the name of the gal who was sitting next to me? And Harry says, this is Agnes. Did you hear the conversation she was having with her friend? No, I didn't. And he says, well, tomorrow's her birthday. Do you think it would be okay if I decorated the place and, and threw a birthday party for her tomorrow night? And Harry said, sure. And Harry calls his wife, who up to this point has been somewhere in the back unknown, to come out to see this strange apparition of a little bald man who wants to throw a party for a prostitute in the middle of the night in a diner in Honolulu. And Harry says, you can do it if I can bake the cake. She says, all right. So the next night at about 3 o'clock in the morning, Tony shows up with, ribbons and streamers and a big happy birthday sign and he decorates the whole place. Harry's been busy all day making a cake and he's got this really beautiful cake for, for Agnes and the girls. At 3.30 on the dot, as if they were, they were or actually just before 3.30, as, as if they were all sent by some, by some news that passed along the streets, the ladies all show up. At 3.30 on the dot, in walks Agnes with a few friends. And when she walks in, all of the ladies, Harry, Harry's wife, and Tony, shout, Happy Birthday! And Agnes can't believe it. She's overwhelmed. She's weeping and laughing and joyful and and sad. And she comes walking into the diner among all these people who are shouting Happy Birthday to her and and just, just celebrating her for the first time in her life. Harry brings out the cake and he puts it on the counter. As he puts the, ke- the cake up on the counter, Agnes just comes over and looks at it adoringly like it's the Mona Lisa. And as she begins to look at the cake, quaveringly she begins to speak. And the girls are starting to shout. They're getting a little rowdy and they're saying, Cut the cake! Cut the cake! Cut the cake! And Agnes says, can I take the cake home? I've never had one before. I just live a couple blocks away. I'll be right back. And so Agnes picks the cake up like a newborn and carries it out out of the restaurant. And true to her word, a little while later, comes back. And the celebration continues and quietly begins to soften. And then the ladies begin to leave. And the only people left in the diner are Harry and Tony and the un- unnamed wife. And Harry leans across the bar. Tony, in the midst of Agnes's departure, stands up and has a prayer, which gives Harry an idea of who Tony is. So when, Agnes, when all the girls are departed, Harry leans over to Tony and says, Are you some kind of a preacher or something? Tony says, Yes, I am. He said, What kind of church do you go to? <laughs> he said, I go to the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Amen. And Harry said, No, you don't. That kind of church doesn't exist. If it did, I'd go. You can choose your song anywhere. At 3.30 in the morning, in Honolulu, in the midst of a large group of ladies who've come off work, you can choose your song. The song could be happy birthday. But you get to choose because your Father owns the universe. David is finding himself in a hole in the ground. Stuck there. Hiding from a king who wants to kill him. And he says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations. The song you choose can change the lives of the people around you. The song you choose can change the lives of the people around you. This Psalm 57 gets reprised. You never see this. Psalm 57 and Psalm 60 get brought together at the end of David's life. Psalm 57 is David saying, here I am in this cave, but I know you're going to rescue me. I know I'm going to be okay. And Psalm 60 is David in the midst of battles with all of the the military powers around him who says, God, I know that because You are my God, these victories will be mine. Both prophetically looking forward in faith to what God will do. God God in David is choosing a psalm that represents the future. And in Psalm 108, at the end of David's life, the same psalms are pulled forward to remind us that God came through. I'd like you to listen to a bit of Psalm 108.
1: Thanks to the O Lord among the people. I'll bring breezes up to thee in my soul. For thy loving kindness is great above the heavens, thy truth it reaches to the sky. Be exalted, O God. Maybe do.
0: Father, it's easy for us to forget that it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Because You do in fact reign even in this sinful place and even in the hard moments of our life. When we feel ourselves being buried in the darkness of some cave, help us to choose a song of faith. Help us to live long enough to see our faith in you fruit. I pray for your blessing upon this congregation today. I ask for your spirit to fill each one. I ask that this might be a place where you dwell until you come. In Jesus' name.